Welcome to another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, with two special guests with me today. As always, we have Associate Dean and Economist Phil Powell. And today, we're also joined by one of our economics professors, Mr. Kyle Anderson. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Matt. Thanks, Matt. So today, we're going to do things a little different. Normally, we'll have a guest we've interviewed offer some best practices that Phil and I comment on between each soundbite. However, given all the financial headlines in the news, we thought it would be a good time to get two of our economic experts in one room and take a look at our current economic climate. We're going to jump into how this continued government shutdown and our country's current trade wars directly and indirectly impact our economy. Finally, we're going to wrap up this episode with tips from our experts so you can make better business decisions this year. Before we jump in, Phil, you were talking about the Keynesian animal spirit concept before we started recording. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with the animal spirits term by John Keynes, Here's an abbreviated definition. The animal spirit is the, quote, gut instinct of consumers or business leaders or investors that impact the economy. For example, if companies are turning high profits, but there's fear a recession is on the horizon, our guts tell us to slow our spending and start saving, which in turn creates a major slowdown in the economy. So I want to jump in now. Here we are. The government still shut down. And as of this recording, you know, we're about 19 days into this partial shutdown. Um, and so let's start kind of big picture. Hypothetically, this last, you know, six, seven months, what are some of the macro impacts in the economy this, this could have if it, if it continues to last? I tend to look at this in two sorts of ways. There's a, a direct effect of government spending and government workers going without a paycheck. And while it, it's huge in some areas, right, the, the Washington, D.C. area is going to be very much affected, and those workers who are going out without a paycheck are very much impacted, the measured effect is about a billion dollars per week, which sounds like a lot of money, right, to, to most of us. But just to put that in perspective, the U.S. economy is about $400 billion per week in GDP. So you're talking about a quarter of a percentage point that you're probably a drag on economic growth. That's the direct effect of the government shutdown. Again, you know, GDP is volatile. And so something like that, we might not even notice in Q1 numbers. But I go back to Phil's talking about the, the Keynesian animal spirits. So the, the direct effect may be relatively small, but what happens if people look at Washington, D.C., and they say, hey, you know, things are a mess. I better pull back. Consumers may not be buying that big screen TV or that new car right now. And they'll say, I'll hold off. I'm a little concerned about our economic situation. Or business managers pull back and say, we're not going to make that investment in that new plant because I'm not sure what 2019 and 2020 are going to look like. Those are the things that can potentially drive the recession. So it's not a direct effect of, the, of Washington, D.C., but it's individuals making rational decisions to say, tough times are coming, I'm going to pull back, and that perpetuates the cycle. You know, it, comes, it brings us back to that quote by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Of course, he quoted this in a much more dire time for the country after Pearl Harbor. But there's uh, the biggest fear is fear itself, and it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy of economic slowdown. And that's just the nature of, of behavior and markets. Markets don't like risk. 
And guess what? A lot of the uh, fear that's happening right now is artificially created by the political dynamics in Washington. You know, it's different than if we're fearful that the that there's going to be a hurricane, right? That's Mother Nature. This is artificially created by the dis- political dysfunctionality in our institutions. Completely avoidable. So how long do you guys see indicators of this continuing, or is this more in the political realm where we're, we're, we're in the wrong discipline here? Well, a, a couple of things to note. So first of all, the government shut down, you know, as of now, and, and by the time this, this podcast drops, if it hasn't been resolved, it will be the, one of the longest in history. So it's easy for those of us of a certain age to look back a few years and say, oh, we've had these government shutdowns before. They're not a big deal. They're, they're kind of a routine part of the political cycle. But having said that, we've not had one that's lasted, you know, months or, you know, God forbid, three or four or five months. We don't know what's going to happen. And, and the, the cost of that could get exponentially worse. Having said that, you know, one thing from an economist's point of view, Phil and I both had spent a lot of time looking at, at game theory ideas. And it, it's kind of interesting to model this negotiation between, largely between President Trump and the Democratic leaders as sort of a, a prisoner's dilemma sort of game. And a prisoner's dilemma, if you don't recall your, your game theory economics, is a situation where each party acting in their own best interests leads to an outcome that is detrimental for the whole together. And what we have, what I see in this negotiation is you've got two groups that are negotiating towards their base and, and trying to, each one is just kind of working towards what do my voters want me to do? And that essentially is to not compromise. And so we, we need a leader that are looking at the big picture rather than kind of their individual actions there. USA Today released an article that said White House officials said the IRS will still issue tax return checks even if the shutdown continues into tax season. How does this process slow down? Because, you know, with furloughed government employees, how is that going to trickle into a potential slowdown, do you guys think? And one of the things you, you might realize is that for the average person to start feeling a little pain from the government shutdown, might actually be a good thing because that's what's going to motivate the players to come to the table and work to find a compromise. So if I'm not getting my IRS check, my refund check, then I'm more likely to call my senator, my representative, or even the White House and say, look, you've got to get this deal done. And that's what brings the parties to the table. If average Americans aren't feeling any pain, then the, the two leaders from the, the respective parties just have that much more incentive to hold strong and not negotiate. The, the government can't stay shut down forever. And I think Kyle makes a great point that, has, that translates also to the trade war with China, right? Uh, when we engage in a trade war, it's, it's two players at the game. And what's China done? What has Canada done? They, they immediately hit back. And our farmers are feeling it because China's you know going to ref- not going to buy as much of our agricultural output. Folks that import uh, raw materials from abroad, especially steel or something, um, in the short run they're feeling it. Now you might say, well, shouldn't they be buying that from the United States? Well, yeah, but it takes a year to build a new steel mill, right? right. So um, the same dynamic that 
Kyle just talked about with the government shutdown has the same implications for the trade war. And a lot of what we seem to think is that negotiations tend to be zero-sum games. That's how a lot of times we're looking at it. But, but in most cases, that's not what is happening. Trade, international trade, is a win-win. And if you diminish that, it becomes lose-lose, right? It, it's not necessarily the case that if China is doing well because they're selling us goods, then they're winning and therefore we must be losing, right? Similarly with the, you know, the, the government shutdown, immigration, a lot of these issues can be win-win, and yet our political leaders tend to look at them as win-lose. Therefore, if, if I compromise and the other side gets a win, then by definition, I must be losing, and, and that sort of mentality is really dangerous because it, it leads us to a lot of lose-lose situations, a lot of worse outcomes than we otherwise might get to. And a good example of that is the current economy. When you limit immigration, that means you limit the labor supply. Well, what do we have a shortage of right now? Labor. That leads to higher inflation and a, and a, and a, and a quicker slowdown. And it comes back to the point Kyle was making. Markets are win-win. We, we buy stuff as a as a consumer because we want it, and the, co- and the company we buy it from does it voluntarily because they can profit off of our transaction. Both the consumer and the, and the company benefit. And when you don't allow markets to work, then you're going to constrict economic prosperity. And we're, you know, we start to see the first elements of that, especially with a trade war. Phil, I'm gra- glad you bring that up because if there's any issue that I think from an economic standpoint that, that I would want people to understand is that the economic benefits of immigration are just so strong, and especially legal immigration. Let's, let's put aside the, the wall in, in illegal immigration for now. Uh, if, if we were to create one policy that were to help economic growth over the next 10 years, and if I were put in charge, it would be to increase legal immigration. And you know, I know that, Phil, you and I see this up close with our many MBA students. We've got so many talented people in the United States who were born in other countries. They've got master's degrees. They've got PhDs. They've got MD degrees. They're here at Kelly improving their education, getting an MBA, and they're creating so much value in this country by filling jobs that, that we need, helping American companies grow spending money here, doing things that are just unequivocally beneficial to our economy, that it, it's just a, a, a huge win for us, and we seem to have lost sight of that fact. As we wrap things up, I want to go around the horn a bit and talk to, if I were a business leader, um, if I was an organizational leader, uh, looking into 2019, even with, with the shutdown in mind and you know with what you understand about what could happen or what's coming, What's your recommendation? What are your tips? What's your encouragement uh, for me as a leader to do um, going into this new year? Well, I mean, it's kind of sad to say, I hate to say this, but I would be cautious. I would be hesitant right now to make large-scale investment expecting that the U.S. consumer is always going to be there to buy my good or that I'm going to be able to trade it internationally it, and again, that's part of that animal spirit. If I'm not feeling that confidence that, that, you know, I don't really want everyone to start drawing back, but that's what I would be doing if I were sitting in that corner office. You know, I would agree with Kyle, but let me add a silver lining to that. In the short run, in the very short run, I'd be very cautious. 
But once everybody starts to pull back and the economy slows down, prices come down, right? They might be real estate prices. They might actually be equities, stock prices. So right on the right a little bit, you know, as we get into the heart of the slowdown, if your company is in a good cash position, or if you personally are in a good cash position on your personal finances, it's a great time to buy, right? I mean, think of the think of it, think of 2010, right? This is when unemployment was going way up, stock market was way down. How some houses on the beachfront in Miami had gone down 60%. Well, for those that had been financially cautious, you know, or, or prudent all their life, and they, you know, you know, they may have had a lower income a little bit because of the crash, but they still had good assets. They made that was a that was a great time to buy. So I would be cautious right now, and I'm not bullish because of the psychology in the markets. I'm not I'm not fearful of the of the fundamental. The fundamentals are there, which means this economy will the slowdown will be minor, but then it'll bounce back pretty fast too. That's at least my prediction, um, and that's would be my my expectation would be slow down a little bit, but then when you start to see prices fall enough where it, it's attractive to go back in and buy stuff or make investments, do it. Be a first mover on that. So what do you look for in, in that kind of that valley? Like, is there is there an indicator? Is there like a, hey, we're in the heart of it? I mean, how, or is that kind of, you just go with your, we'll go with your gut? There's a psychological cycle to this, right? And you don't, in the middle of the panic, things are going to fall. So things start to calm down. People are kind of morose and they're, 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 they're sad about the situation, but they've kind of calmed down. They kind of accept the fact, okay, we've had a crash and oh my gosh, what do we do? We're not going to be able to buy that big screen TV, but in that, that's that's kind of that that ref, there's that reflection period right after the panic. That's a good time to start buying. And I also think a lot of it just depends on your time horizon, right? If you if you've got a longer term perspective, if you start buying a little bit earlier, again, whether that's a, a company manager making investments, or whether that's an individual, you know, deciding to purchase stock or something like that, if you're a little too early or a little too late. It's not a big deal over a long time. If, if you're trying to short-term time the market and say, I want to know exactly when the bottom is and I can get in at that point and then turn around and get out right as things go back up, that's extremely hard to do and you're, you're not likely to be successful. It, right. That's basically turning, turning your market investments into, into, into Vegas. And what do we know about Vegas? The, the odds always favor the house, right? We have to have a long-term perspective opportunity will come back. The U.S. economy is very resilient. And that's based upon decades and decades and decades of, of evidence and experience. So I guess two, two things I would leave our listeners. One, if it gets bad, it's going to get better. And just remember that. And secondly, if you're young and, you, and, you're, and you're saving money in your retirement portfolio, don't play the stock market. Just let, let, it, let it ebb and flow. Because as Kyle said, if you're young and you're gonna, your time horizon is decades before you retire, to try to time the market is worse to kind of pull, you know, convert investments into cash and reinvest them and to incur those transaction costs. Trying to play it, you'll lose money. Just keep it in the market. That is the long-term best strategy that the data shows. So let's recap. As Washington continues to strike a deal to reopen the government, our economy is beginning to feel the pain. Even though the government workers not receiving paychecks only has about a quarter percent impact on our overall GDP, it's the fear of uncertainty that's playing a major factor in our overall economic slowdown. 
Another issue impacting our economy is the trade wars with other countries. Tariffs are creating higher prices on goods, which is felt by both buyer and seller. We'll dive more into this specific topic on next week's episode. Finally, it's clear our economic growth is starting to crest. However, that does not mean a recession. All through history, our economy has its ups and downs. It's simply part of the business cycle. So as leaders, we just need to have a slightly higher sense of caution going into 2019. And even if you're a little too early or a little too late in finding the right time to make that investment, it's not a big deal. Just remember, we need to have a long-term perspective of economic growth because if you try to play the market like Vegas, the house always wins. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, working hard to help organizations make better business decisions. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a review on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you can get the latest episodes straight to your device. We'll see you next week. Thank you.